What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 131. We are recording this episode here on Thursday, December 14th. It's 2 o'clock here in the afternoon on the West Coast. My name is Kyle Betts, joined as always by Brad and Honda here to break down the latest in sports over the course of the past week or so. Brevin, how you doing? Doing good. Another week of sports is in the books. We are going to recap NBA, talk about Draymond Green and everything that he's been through within the last month or so. Um, Yeah, just plenty of things to get to um, as we start even fantasy football playoffs uh, this week. Yeah, absolutely. I can't can't wait to break that down here later in our show. But you mentioned the crazy week in sports, Brevin. I mean, it's just highlighted by Shohei Otani officially yep. making a deal. And he is set to have a press conference today. The first time he's speaking publicly in four months now. That press conference is supposed to happen an hour from now, in fact. But Shohei Otani, unfortunately for uh, most of most of uh, Major League Baseball and their fans, he's going to the Dodgers. And I know yeah. it's, it's mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Um, Brevin, just a ridiculous contract here and even better negotiation skills from Shohei himself and his camp. Yeah, $700 million over uh, 10 years, that's the contract, but the seal is being deferred, so it's $680 million will be paid the following 10 years at the end of his contract, so it's the deferrals. So he's only going to get paid $2 million a year um, for the next 10 years. Crazy to think about, but I mean, you consider his endorsements and sponsorships. That's fifty million dollars annually, right there. So, yeah, I mean, this this is this is a genius move here from Shohei Otani. Zero percent interest on that money, by the way, and also he can accept that money when he is not living in the state of California. That means less taxes for him as well. Mm-hmm. So, factors in this, and it's just genius from Shohei Otani. I mean, this was pretty much his plan all along for any team. Didn't matter where he was going to sign, but uh, thought L.A. gave him the best chance to win. That's what he wants to do. I mean, that's why he's taking $2 million a year out of this deal for the first 10 years uh, of, of that contract before the deferred payments. And uh, Brevin, can't say I'm surprised about any of this. Um, you know, we kind of thought Shohei would end up going to L.A. They were the favorites pretty much all along, it seemed. Um, but I, I think even more surprising here is – you know, this this offer was was there for pretty much every team. He had this deferral in mind, this whole this whole entire saga. But we didn't know until about two days after he signed or after reports came out that he was going to sign that seven hundred million dollar deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's think about hearing that he had the same deal in place with San Francisco with Farhan Zaidi. You think about um, I think the possibly the Cubs as well. I can't remember what their offer was. Um, it might have been the same thing or a little bit less. And you think about teams like Toronto and the whole jet saga and Shohei's on a jet flight to Toronto out of John Wayne. And yeah, yeah, it was a crazy thing. And then you think about more within the contract details with he can back out of the deal with, um, for different situations, whether it comes with his translator, Ipe, or the, I think is the owner. So. Yeah, all those different things come into play um, over the next decade uh, for Shohei Otani in a Dodger uniform. Yeah, he, he wants that sort of uh, cohesion and that sort of uh, consistency in L.A. When, when he's a Dodger. He, he's setting himself up for success, and all these clauses he's putting in there 
or positives for himself. Um, no trade clause at the end of the day. Obviously, that could be waived, you know, at, at some point if that if it comes down to it. But like you said, um, just having that sense of stability with his translator Ipe, who is so beloved by Angels fans, um, Dodgers fans are going to love him too, and they're going to love Shohei. Everyone loves Shohei. Who am I kidding, right? And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of saw the deal coming. Um, didn't really see the deferred payments being a part of it, but, uh, man, it, it's, it's crazy to, to, you know, just kind of put into perspective, he's getting $700 million breaking the record for everything. Um, you know, not, not seeing him in, in Anaheim will definitely be different, but he, he's doing what he needs to do to win. Mm-hmm. I'm pulling up the Dodgers schedule right now. Remember the Dodgers opened up against the Padres in Korea, those two games, March 20th. And at 21st in South Korea, so it'll be the first time we'll get to see um, Shohei in a Dodger uniform coming against the Padres. Uh, both those games are going to be ESPN games as well. Um, the Dodgers... 3 a.m., yeah, right? Yeah, 3 a.m. Pacific time. The Dodgers play the Angels. Oh, it's a home-and-home, home. both are two-game series. At home at uh, in Dodger Stadium, June twenty first and twenty second, okay. and in Anaheim, September third and fourth. Oh, okay. So just after Labor Day, right? Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Mm-hmm. And and one one more time, when are those games in Korea to kick off the season? March twentieth and twenty first. March Wednesday, 20th. Thursday. You know what, Brevin? That is incredible because I wake up at 3.30 a.m. every morning. <laughs> I'll be able to watch Shohei at work. Let's go. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Probably include that within your first newscast, too, Kyle. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I could. Yeah. Awesome. Um, let's see. The yeah. Shohei Otani will be coming to San Diego uh, May 10 through 12. And then June 30th and 31st. Okay. Or July 30th and 31st. Okay. So right at the trade deadline. I like that because, you know, you you get him in May, then a couple months later you get him as well. I mean, that's the thick of the season right there, especially Mm -hmm. why when, you know, wins and losses really start to mean something. It's always great to watch, you know, summertime baseball at Petco, of course. But, like, man, I'll, I'll tell you what, that Dodgers team being showcased against the Padres, that's everything you want to see as a baseball fan. Yeah, and because of this balanced schedule, Kyle, that now we've got, the parties only travel to Dodger Stadium once next season. Oh. Yeah. Man, <laughs> that neutral contest to start the year is, is Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's insane of what's taking place here. Yeah, um, you know, as an Angels fan, of course disappointed at Shohei's decision, but I, I completely understand it. No, no animosity, no no contempt toward towards Shohei. I mean, that should be the way if you're an Angels fan altogether. Um, six seasons as an Angel, so many great moments in Anaheim. Um, to be honest with you, I was even surprised that he he signed here to begin with. You know, I'm sure Trout had a big reason to do with that. Mike Trout, what they were starting to build with that young core back in 2017, just couldn't replicate that success, unfortunately. But I think, Brevin, when you think about Shohei Otani with the Angels, of course you have those MVP seasons, but we really weren't able to see Shohei and Mike Trout out there together at their very best. I mean, 
one of them or both were injured at, at different points throughout Shohei's tenure in Anaheim. And when you throw guys like Anthony Rendon in there who are also always hurt and get these big contracts, I mean, it's just, it's not necessarily a recipe for disaster, but you just can't win that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Fletcher from OC Register tweeted yesterday, uh, the Angels were, the Trout and Otani were in the lineup together just 46.6% of Angels games over the last six seasons. So less than half. Uh, Angels were 194 and 211 in those 46.6% of those games. And then when one or neither of them were in the lineup, the Angels weren't 207 and 258. So both under 500 records, um, during those six years. I mean, a lot of people just say, you know, how, how were Shohei and, and, and Trout not able to win together on the same team. That's ridiculous. Six years mm-hmm. together. But you look at that, that's a big reason why. Many other reasons, especially last season. You know, I really had confidence in the Angels until those injuries really started hitting as well. And and yep. we saw both of them suffer because of that. And that's just kind of the cherry on top for the Shohei Otani saga in Anaheim. Some great individual moments for him, no doubt about it. And even the team at times, you know, Great wins coming together. Shohei was a big part of that, but yeah. um, despite that, just weren't able to win. And and I completely understand Shohei moving on, and not only that, but choosing LA because you know, twenty twenty World Series champions. They, they invest a lot in Freeman. They get they still have bets over there. Uh, young pitching staff, uh, some young guys as a part of that core as well. But also they got some good veterans. You know, re-signing Jason Hayward, being a veteran leader as part of that team, Max Muncy as well. I mean, the future, the future is very bright for, for L.A., and, I mean, that's the team to beat now, Brevin, unfortunately, for everyone once again. Yeah. How many rings do you see Otani winning with the Dodgers in his next 10 years? Well, <laughs> as an Angels fan, of of course you want to see Shohei Otani win. I mean, I, I will always love love that guy, what he did for the team, and just him as a baseball player, him as a person as well. Calm demeanor. Uh, you can tell he's a kind human and he's a great ball player. Um, <laughs> but now that he's on the Dodgers, bro, I, of course my answer is going to be zero. It's going to be zero. <laughs> Re- realistically though, realistically, like let's think about this. Shohei Otani won't be able to pitch next season. It's his, it's his second Tommy John surgery. And for him, he's getting a little bit out there in age now, 29 years old. That's not to say he's old. He's in the prime of his career. Of course. But he won't be able to pitch next season. You don't know what that arm's going to look like in the future. Of course, he came back from it strong the first time. But still, there's always that risk. And that's always important to keep in mind. I don't want to see him be a glorified designated hitter. But you never know, right? Yeah. Um, but just having him, knowing the Dodgers, knowing what they did to defer that contract, and, and, and him as well, buying in, and putting themselves in a position to win now, out of his 10 years, if he even lasts that long in a Dodgers uniform, we can come back to this in a decade, and, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> but <laughs> I, think, I think the Dodgers ultimately win two rings. If he is there for the duration of 10, 10 years, mm-hmm. I think they pull out two rings at least. Because when you think about it, the Giants are still trying to remain competitive in the NOS. The yep. Pops still are, undoubtedly, despite mm-hmm. 
Del Soto, still are 100%. And I think competition around the league as well, especially in the yeah. National League. We've still got teams like the Phillies, who are big dogs every year. Um, Atlanta. Think, yeah, Atlanta as well. I mean, the NL East, I mean, it is a gauntlet itself. I mean, we'll yeah. see if that's end up getting to where they want to go. But, man, I think two two rings is realistic. They could top that. Maybe they they don't reach it, but mm-hmm. it's a big deal. And you know, having having a generational player, once in a lifetime player, not even generational, yeah. can do so many things for you. Especially when you have a winning roster who can win consistently. That's what the Angels aren't, but that's what the Dodgers are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's all going to come down to pitching, and not necessarily Otani pitching, yeah. but that rotation behind him. 100%. Um, you know, you think about the young guys behind him that are going to be behind him, you know, Ryan Pepio, you know, all those different players, you know, that come into play. Um, I could see two at the most, even in 10 years, yeah. um, in ranks, you know, it's just cause we haven't seen a back to back world series champion since the beginning of the decade. Yeah. We haven't, you know, in yeah, it's easy to get two different rings in 10 years. I mean, we saw the Giants get three and five, but a lot of things got to happen for that to happen. And I think pitching, you see how much value pitching is right now. Um, You know, it's so vital right now in the game. And so and it doesn't take just one pitcher. You need at least three pitchers that are going to get you in the playoffs. And I think that's even more so important this year because when he, like I said, Shohei's not going to pitch this year. So you need that rotation to step up, even for those younger guys. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think the big question now is, you know, Walker Bueller. What yep. are we, gonna, what are we going to see out of him, and 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 how is he going to be a sort of a stable provider for that rotation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it. I think it's going to wait until maybe June or July until we really see. Uh... What Walker Bueller is really, really going to be like, you know, coming back from Tommy Jaw and getting back up to speed before he really can be where he was before the surgery. 100%. So, yeah, man, um, crazy, crazy week in baseball. And, and this is at the forefront, of course. And that's why we're talking about this so much. Um, it, it really is interesting to see how this all came together. And now what we should expect in this press conference that's expected to happen here um, within the next hour or so. And if we get some updates, we'll be able to bring that to you of show, what, what Shohei says later in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but There's a long line of media that'll be getting ready for this press conference. Oh, I can't even imagine, Revan. You know, I was looking on Twitter a little while ago, and I know The Athletic is putting together a live blog for this press conference and the athletic has i believe six different writers five or six different writers cover mm-hmm. this even though they're not on the dodgers b i mean I, i'm excited for show hey man as as sad as it is for us angels and padres fans and if you're a fan of any other team than the dodgers it's it's sad because mm-hmm. of course but you know i i have to be happy for Shohei. i i absolutely have to and I, I feel proud that he was an angel and that he, he did so much for this team. And it, it's at the end of the day, Brevin, like having Otani stay in Southern California, you know, especially for you as a Padres fan, staying in the yep. NL, it's such a treat because you're going to be able to watch him so much and so am I. Yeah. 
five games in 2023, and then we'll see where the schedule takes us, or five games in 2024, and then we'll see where the schedule goes from there. Yeah, so, man, big news of the week there, Shohei Otani. Um, once again, we'll update you on what he says during his press conference a little bit later, but yeah, some big news there. Um, just absolutely shape-shifting in the world of sports this week. Another uh, new, not even necessarily, you know, another thing that happened that was crazy, but another new thing that went down uh, that we haven't seen before, $700 million, obviously you never seen that. The NBA in-season tournament, it's finally over. And uh, I shouldn't even necessarily say finally because it should be more, more so already over. Who would have thought? Mm-hmm. Um, the Los Angeles Lakers coming out on top, winning the inaugural in-season tournament. They ended up defeating the uh, New Orleans Pelicans in the semifinal last Thursday. We kind of touched on it briefly in our last episode. Very handed win there. They ended up doing the same on Saturday in the final in Vegas, 123-109 over the Indiana Pacers. The Lakers, they're hanging a banner, and it's the season tournament champs. Let's go. Uh Uh-huh. It's a championship. (laughs) Not a division title. It's a championship. Hey, 500K goes a long way. Yeah, I know, especially when you see another guy in L.A. just get $700 Yeah. Oh man. hundred percent. So yeah, good for the Lakers. Good performance. I mean, you got to have a run of the luck at the end of the day when you think about it, because a tournament's a tournament. Some things go your way. Some things don't, but a part of that in-season tournament final, Brevin, that was so notable is what Anthony Davis was able to do against Miles Turner. I think he just absolutely dominated him in this game. Hmm. Let's get to the stats here. 41 points, 20 rebounds, five assists, 41 minutes played. I mean, that's what you need out of, out of AD. This is your guy. LeBron's going to produce like he always does. He he He's a team player. Like, he does it all. But when Anthony Davis is on one, and if he's physical, and if he's bodying the guy in front of him, I mean, things are going to happen. That's what he did to Miles Turner last weekend. That's what he did to Victor Wembanyama last night. This is what you'd like to see out of Anthony Davis, and that's why they won this tournament. Yeah, and two, last night was also a comes after rolling his ankle um within the first couple of minutes of that game in San Antonio and yet he still put up what he still did. And I mean you think about if he's able to put up those type of numbers, you know, MVP's definitely in sight for Anthony Davis. It's a matter of how well he's able to do that over the course of um how well he's able to do that over the course of an entire season. Yeah, it's huge. It, it's massive. When you have that presence there, I mean, he, he's always going to be the guy to get you some boards, more so than anyone else. Of course, LeBron steps up on his own, but I think just great to see Anthony Davis show up when it matters. That's what he did in 2020 during the finals in the bubble. They needed him for that. He showed up. Same thing here. And although it's it's not necessarily a championship, I mean, it is not the real championship, Kind of a consolation. I mean, we'll take what we can get, right? Yeah, it's not good old Larry, but it'll still it'll still work. Yeah, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to for the Lakers. I mean, just getting the job done, and especially a gritty tournament like that was, I mean, for a lot of people, it was really confusing. But 
they, they stayed the course, the Lakers did. Really, when you think about it, Brevin, only one close game for the Lakers yeah, their journey to get here. I mean, when you think about it, the group stage games, for the most part, all blowouts for this Lakers team, besides a game against the Suns, and then in the quarterfinals against the Suns as well. I mean, that's the only team that really gave them some some trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of just tells you it's like when you got that incentive larger than what your usual per diem game money is going to be, you know, it kind of helps that that incentive um, goes a little bit further. So there you have it. That's the NBA in season tournament. Kind of weird to think that it wrapped up within two months, but uh, they wanted it at the beginning of the, the season for a reason. More eyes on the early portion of the year for the NBA. I think that's a good thing and uh, gives the team a reason to celebrate and also an incentive. I think it's all good things. Hmm. Yeah, especially before Christmas, too, and those Christmas Day games. 100%. Always looking forward to that as well. So, yeah, uh, that's the NBA in-season tournament recap there. The Lakers, the champions, defeating the Indiana Pacers in the final last Saturday. So, yeah, big time for the Lakers. They're able to uh, secure uh, another trophy for the franchise. Mm-hmm. So moving on now, some other notable NBA news this week, as we uh, look ahead to our third point here on the fast five, Draymond Green has been a hot topic in the NBA, not only this week, but I mean, throughout the season, I mean, some incidents where, you know, he's been in some scuffles already suspended earlier this year. Um, it happened again, Brevin. It's like it's like one of those things, you know. The sky is blue, and and Draymond Green is is uh, being problematic on the floor. <laughs> yeah, uh huh. Um, Draymond Green, I think he was suspended. What was it for the fifth time this season already, or something like that? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> just, just crazy. So l- let's set the scene here. Tuesday night, it's Warriors. Uh, War- Warriors playing in in in, in a game against. Um, the uh, Phoenix Suns, it was, and very competitive ball game. Of course, these are two of the uh, most notable teams in the Western Conference. The Suns end up winning this game, but that's not the point. In the game, seventeen minutes through for for Draymond, he plays seventeen minutes. He he ends up getting tangled up with Yusuf Nurkic, mm-hmm. Suns in the corner, and he ends up. Essentially throwing a punch at Nurkic. Nurkic goes down. They review it. He gets a flagrant two. Tossed out of the game. Now suspended indefinitely by the league. The NBA taking matters into their own hands. And they say, we've had enough of your antics, Draymond. You're suspended. That's what they did yesterday, implementing uh, that indefinite suspension. He has to complete a series of certain marks before returning to play. What exactly that is, uh, I'm not too familiar with. But uh, you would have to imagine it has to do with behavior, uh, sportsmanship, different things of that sort. Because, Brevin, this has uh, been something that's ongoing, and I don't think it's necessarily surprising to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is Draymond Green's sixth career um, suspension, and this latest one coming. Eight minutes and 23 seconds left in the third quarter of that three-point loss in Phoenix. And you think about how good the boys were playing – you know, and how good the Warriors play with him on the floor, you know, that's a big difference. And this is the Warriors 
that game was the Warriors' sixth straight loss away from Chase Center. And you think about how important that is to this team trying to get back to another finals run and trying to make another finals run. You know, they got to get Draymond Green on the floor, both mentally, but uh, not just physically, but also mentally. Yeah, I mean, he, he's such a, a big part of that team as a facilitator, setting screens, doing the dirty work. I mean, you can go on. I mean, he's a big part of that roster. And uh, now that they don't have him, uh, kind of kind of going to have to adjust there. I mean, putting mm-hmm. in Moses Moody, uh, Dario Saric, other guys who can fill in and, and step up for now. We're not sure how long he's going to be suspended. And uh, I, I don't think anyone does. So we're just going to have to see what the league announces from here on out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this too also comes as Draymond Green was suspended just about a month ago um, when he uh, put uh, Minnesota Timberwolves and Rudy Gobert in a headlock. Um, that was that little, uh, alt- altercation between Clay Thompson and I think it was Jada McDaniels. Yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> and, uh, never, it never ends for Draymond. It, no. It continues. <laughs> yeah. And that was a five game suspension, which also hurt them within the group play of the in season tournament. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, staying in the realm of basketball now, let's get into some college news. And uh, positive here, no, no one, no one fighting this time. And involves Bronny James. He's is a uh, USC freshman guard, obviously the son of LeBron James. Um, he is back on the floor. He returned to the court on Sunday for the Trojans, and Bronny had been out after a cardiac arrest episode um, suffered earlier this this past summer during a practice. Well, in this game on Sunday, he played 17 minutes, scoring four points, two assists, two steals, and a block, also adding three rebounds in a 84-79 to loss to Long Beach State. But his semi was in attendance. That includes the NBA all-time leading scorer, LeBron James. Obviously, I mentioned he's his father. Um, really cool moment to see Bronny out there and, and also to make his college debut. You know, Brevin, I don't ever think we knew Bronny was going to end up going to college. Like we, we thought, you know, maybe he could potentially go to the Scoot Henderson route, go G League, and, and we'll see yeah. from there. But he, he chooses to be in L.A. close to his dad and, and USC. That unfortunate episode having happening this past summer where he was sent to the hospital. But I think, you know, coming back to the floor about four months later, great to see that. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I mean, just so excited to see what he's able to do on the basketball floor and, and even more excited for his health. Yeah, this outcome was far less important compared to the return of Bronny James on Sunday. Um, and just seeing him come back to the floor, obviously we know the sensation that he was in high school. And so being able to see that now at a college level, we're just going to see that continue to grow, um, you know, for however many within the next four years in a Trojan uniform. No doubt about that, Revan. I mean, this is a guy with so much skill, so much poise. And, you know, I can't even imagine being the son of LeBron James, but it seems like he just handles everything the right way. He seems like a pretty humble guy. He seems like a pretty, you know, friendly guy as well. And, you know, all all the best to him, all the best for sure, because I can't even imagine being Bronny, what, 18 years old, going through something like that, probably extremely traumatic. You don't mm-hmm. know live, but you do not only that, but he's coming back stronger, making the return to the floor. So happy for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, luckily, Bronny James, too. It's not like he's the only high-profile player 
on that USC Trojans roster. I mean, who yeah. else is on that roster with Duke, <laughs> you know, as well. And so, um, yeah, it's not like Ronnie James is going to get all that media um, going his way with those, those other players on that roster. And you think about even two in that conference, you know, you get the number one team in Arizona in the Pac-12. Yeah, you mentioned Boogie Ellis right now. He's the leading scorer, actually, in the Pac-12, which is, you know, pretty interesting, all things considered. You know, very highly titled recruit. He went to Memphis. Things didn't work out there at all. I think in a much better spot there now that he is in L.A. And especially when you consider how this team has done so far this season, I mean, we kind of expected more out of them when you think about it. Five and four overall record, losses to UCI and Long Beach State. Man, these Big West teams kind of given uh, SC some problems here early on. Mm-hmm. About it, um, yeah. That Long Beach State, obviously, uh, that Long Beach State loss, I should say, that happened in overtime. Um, but we are going to have another chance to see Bronny out there this Sunday. They're going to take on Auburn on the road in Alabama. Um, should be a good one, and especially as we get into conference play, we're going to be able to watch Bronny more often on ESPN. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is going to be a good test right now for USC. Going to Auburn, staying in that state to play Alabama State two days later, and then you get about a week to prepare for um, two conference games in Oregon, taking on the Ducks before taking on the Beavers before returning home um, January 3rd. So full four weeks playing away from from campus. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, you know, Boogie Ellis, Isaiah Collier. I mean, just these guys – are so talented. And when you add a guard like Bronny behind them and who can even play alongside them, it's big time. So they will definitely get better with Bronny out there. I'm excited to see what they do. Mm -hmm. All right, let's switch gears here. Our point number five here on the fast five, kind of an interesting one here because there have been some rumblings as of late of Bill Belichick perhaps being out of new England. Now the front office reportedly the Patriots front office that is after a loss, I believe to was, was it the, who was it? The Panthers. I think so. This year they lost to the Panthers earlier this year. Uh, Close ish game. I believe that was the front office pretty much gave Belichick an ultimatum made him saying that you could be fired by the end of the season and and your job security is, is not in a positive state. And it appears that, could be the case after all, Brevin, because when you think about this Patriots team, the offense doesn't exist. When Ramondre Stevenson goes down, that hurts you even more. You don't have uh, Demario Douglas last week uh, against, uh, you know, the uh, Steelers. Ultimately, come out slinging in that game. Bailey Zappi throwing three touchdowns. But the weeks leading up to that, Brevin, 13 points scored in three games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what do you think, Brevin? You, you think Belichick's time is, is, is potentially up in New England? It might be. It depends on how he and Robert Kraft are and their relationship right now. But I think this really comes down to just how valuable Tom Brady was during his time in New England. You know, even the years that they didn't win a Super Bowl, you know, you saw how valuable he was and even some of those receivers and just how that dynasty was built, you know, with, you know, you get those receivers year in and year out, you know, with whether it's Julian Edelman, uh, Amendola, 
you know, that list goes on and on, you know, and you still are able to get those waves of talent, you know, and now we're really not seeing that um, in New England. Yeah, I think quarterback definitely is key, but the the talent they have now, I think you said it perfectly, especially at skill position, that's where it hurts the most. Because when you think about it, I mentioned Demario Douglas. I believe he's the leading receiver on the team this year. Behind him, Devontae Parker and Juju Smith-Schuster, who haven't really done much. I mean, Hunter Henry's your starting tight end. Two touchdowns last week, great to see out of him. But you really need to start investing in your youth and the young guys of the future. And I think you potentially have that, um, especially when you have guys like Stevenson at running back. He's still pretty, you know, somewhat young. Right now they got Zico Elliott, who isn't necessarily young, but he's still in his 20s. He still produces at a high level. We saw it last week. And I think you're right, Brevin. Now's the time for a quarterback. Considering the record, they're in a great position to land one right now. Mm-hmm. Right now the Patriots, where are they at? They're at two? Yeah, they're at two right now. Okay. So if you ask me if the Patriots should move on from Bill Belichick, I say no. Yeah, I don't think so either. I I think you – I mean, his his experience says it all. And, and of course, Brady was a huge part of that, maybe even more so than Belichick himself, like you said. But when you have Belichick and his resume and his experience, that's a tough guy to let go. Because you don't know where he's if he could go elsewhere, transform a, pro, a, a football team, a franchise. You never know. So I don't know. If I'm Robert Kraft, I feel like I stay the course. I trust in the guy I have for the past 20, 20 25 years, however long it's been. And I take a quarterback. I continue to build on the needs that you need position-wise. And you just give it a go. Because right now, who, who's in position to, to have the first overall pick? Carolina? Uh, yeah. Well, technically Chicago via Carolina. Owned by the Bears, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's just ultimately the big question. Do the Bears move on from fields and do they take a quarterback? Or mm-hmm. do they take Marvin Harrison? Do they take someone else? Yeah. And do they let Caleb Williams fall to number two? Mm-hmm. That's the big question. If if the Patriots land Caleb Williams, they will win a lot more games next season. You'll you'll keep Bill Belichick for at least one to two years, at least. Absolutely, you have to. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially even that coaching tree underneath Bill Belichick as well. You know, with all those coaches that are there and that have learned underneath him for all these years. I mean. And who knows if Josh McDaniels returns as well. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, Joe Judge, uh, the assistant head coach. Yeah. Who is in New York. Um, hey. Wow. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. You get Bill O'Brien, the OC there. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, all these different coaches among their coaching roster. Five, only one, only one coach or two coaches have experience of less than four years. I mean, at the end of the day, drafting Mac Jones was a miss. Yeah. It was an unfortunate miss. But I mean, just given the talent that Jones had at Alabama back when he was playing kind of points to that, I think. 
Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it, it's tough to gauge, of course, because it looks like Mac Jones is, you know, he's going through his progressions and he's making the right calls, but we just haven't seen that in New England. I feel like Jones wasn't really set up for the talent around him either. Yeah. Even, even the O-line has not been good. So, so another part of this is I feel really bad for Mac Jones. Like, what's his future going to look like? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you think that, too, the teams that need a quarterback next year that also come into play with. Um, whether Bill Belichick's going to be done in New England or not. Yeah. And right now in the NFL, backup quarterbacks are, I think, more important now than ever. Yeah. We'll touch on that a little bit later here on the show. But mm-hmm. that could obviously be a good role for Mac Jones in the future, too. So we'll have to see about that, and we'll have to see what happens with Belichick because that's that's for sure a big deal. All right. Let's move on and let's talk some more football. We're going to stay in the NFL and some big news regarding scheduling in the future. We're going to start with this here. The NFL, they announced yesterday that they're going to have a game next season in Sao Paulo, Brazil, the first ever game in South America. So when this game is played next season, 2024, the NFL will have officially played games on five of seven continents throughout the world really yeah. exciting, really exciting and in, in this case it's going to be at the corinthian stadium in brazil home of uh, uh corinthians sc soccer club uh good team down in brazil this is also the venue that hosted the uh 2014 world cup they also were a part of uh the 2016 uh olympics as well mm-hmm. getting closer and closer to playing a game down in antarctica yeah. Hey, <laughs> you never know. Someone build a stadium. I mean, we're playing cold weather games. I mean, what could be? It's got to be similar down in Antarctica, anyway. Yeah. Just having a, just play a September game down in Antarctica. Dude, at this point, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, it's good for you know. We talk about growing the game. Obviously, we think about the Olympics coming and having football. We talked, as we talked about a few weeks ago with flag football and, you know, this is another way of growing the game. You know, we think about how it's grown to, you know, we see games in Mexico and now we get games in uh, Europe. Now we're seeing transfer to South of the West or South of the Northern hemisphere going down to the Southern hemisphere. Yeah, when you think about Brazil, you you think about soccer. Obviously, you think yeah. about you think about Pele. You think about Neymar. You think about really Ronaldinho as well. Just influential soccer figures in Brazil who have who have just been so a big part of their history. You know, when you think about Brazil as well, I'm not sure if American football has much of an influence there, but it must. It absolutely must because when you think about it, the NFL is taking a big step. Why are they hosting this in Brazil? They must have done more research than I have on fandom down in Brazil. It seems like, you know, a lot more people throughout the world are just becoming more uh, interested in American football, how it's growing the game. Um, I think it's a great move by the NFL. And even for people who don't know what American football is, they'll see this on TV in Brazil or they'll go to the stadium and they'll see that. And, it just opens it just opens up eyes for for millions of people of you know this is an enjoyable game it's it's one of the best sports in the world so mm-hmm. I, I love it I, I think just giving more people an opportunity to watch is 
great. And I'm interested to see who's going to end up matching up down in Sao Paulo. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to figure out, trying to Google search favorite NFL teams in Brazil. I, I will say this. I know that the NBA is huge in Brazil. It's massive. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know about football down there. Yeah. Um, I see you. So there's Reddit that pops up that says the Packers are the most popular NFL team. <laughs> they're they're the northernmost team in in the United States. So yeah, one of them. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So yeah, we'll find out to see which two teams are going to be headed down to Sao Paulo, Brazil, uh, next year when the schedule's released. Um, a couple weeks after the NFL draft. Yeah, that's awesome. I want I want to see more international games. I mm-hmm. do, especially over in Europe. I on I honestly genuinely enjoy the, those international early games. Um, in Brazil, their their time zone is, I believe, the same. It's about same to the East Coast. Yeah. I think it might be an hour ahead. Mm-hmm. I'll look up Sao Paulo local time right now to give you an idea of that. Um, but I mean, when you think about that, I mean, for scheduling purposes, it'll probably be close to, you know, the 10 o'clock slate, the, the one o'clock slate as well here in America. I think you could, I mean, you could probably fit in anything there. So right now, okay. I, I was, Two hours. So, so Sao Paulo, the, the current local time right there is 7.43 PM. Here mm-hmm. in California, it's 2.43. Yeah. So, so they are two hours ahead of the East Coast. So that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. So even then, I think we could get a game in Brazil at, I think we can get a 6.30 a.m. Pacific game here. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think they would. the NFL would keep it to that standard. Most likely. Yeah. 11.30 there and local time in Brazil. It would make yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, another, another scheduling announcement that the NFL had that we want to break down here, uh, another Los Angeles Super Bowl. It's happening again, Brevin. We are having, we are having the, uh, Super Bowl in LA in 2027. Obviously we had one at SoFi Stadium last year where the Rams defeated the Cincinnati Bengals. That championship, uh, game was massive and they're coming back just years later. 2027 is when it's back at SoFi, uh, this upcoming, Super Bowl will obviously be in Las Vegas. The year ensuing in New Orleans. The year after that, 2026, will be in San Francisco. L.A. gets 2027. So, Brevin, a lot of West Coast action here for yeah. the Super Bowl in, in mm-hmm. recent times, and that's going to continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three of the next four years, uh, the NFL championship is going to be decided west of the Mississippi Um and two, when you think about two, that Super Bowl in 2027, it's going to follow with the Olympics the following year. So, yeah, um, in Los Angeles. So, busy time in the city of angels for sports. And you see, think about with the Dodgers and who knows if they're going to be hosting a World Series that year. You know, if that comes into play, you know, I think, do they have an all star game coming up? No, they just had it with. So, they won't have to worry about an all star game, likely. Yeah, I mean, um, in Major League Baseball, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, in this case, the NFL really saw something with with the product that they were able to deliver at SoFi last year, 
And it's not often where you see a venue be able to hold host two Super Bowls within five or six years, but that's exactly what's happening here. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's a great thing too. Like the NFL taking advantage of this, this uh, newer stadium as well. Um, that's a big part of it. The capacity, of course. And uh, they seem to have liked what happened last year, uh, 2022 in, the, in, in that Super Bowl. Um, but yeah, this will be exciting here for for us in California and the LA area. It's it's more revenue for for everyone involved, and yeah, it's good to have it close to home. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's something to look forward to as well. The Super Bowl back at SoFi Stadium in 2027. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Obviously, years down the road from now, but yeah, it sh- it should be good for us here in California as well. We are going to move on now, and let's break down our fair or foul segment of the week, Brevin. And we're going to get to our three up, three down. We've been doing this all season for the National Football League. We're going to stay with football here, and we are going to start with our three up. So we select our top three teams, players, or really anything related to football over the course of the past week, and also our three low points from those different aspects of football. So Mm -hmm. Brevin, take things off with our three up. Yeah, kicking off, give me the Buffalo Bills and just the way that they've been able to fight and claw. You know, we think about playing teams like Kansas City and they pull out the win there, whether it was on Buffalo or Darius Tony or whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, with the way that they've played, you know, you've seen just how much they've gotten back despite the struggles that they've had earlier in the season, you know, letting go of their offensive coordinator, but you're seeing them, um, come alive and be right in the hunt for, basically be one of one, two, three, four, five, six teams um tied for the final two spots in the um AFC wildcard picture. Yeah, absolutely. I mean just a huge performance from them last week. That's absolutely what you needed out of that. So good to see them take advantage of that, I think for sure. My first point of my three up, I'm going to say, you know, the level of competition here in the NFL entering the last four weeks of the season. Revan, it's hard to imagine that we've made it this far. Like, I think the season flew by, especially from weeks 8 to 13 or so. Like, it just seemed like it went by so fast. And during that span, so much has changed. I'll start with this. When you think about the Denver Broncos winning five out of six, putting themselves back in the playoff conversation – has been huge. And when you have teams like that who have been able to do it, that's what makes it competitive, and that's what makes it fun. And that's going to be my first point here in my three down is the NFL playoff picture right now. There mm-hmm. are scenarios right now that could go down here for certain weeks in the league, but, man, I, it's really tough to imagine, especially even in the NFC where, you know, competition doesn't seem necessarily as as stiff. It really is. Everyone's close right now. Division Mm -hmm. right now, we'll start with this. In the NFC, the Niners, they're the one seed right now. The Cowboys, the two seed. Lions at three. The Buccaneers are number four. Those are all the division leaders right now. Behind them, the Eagles, 10 and three. They're your first wildcard team. The Vikings at seven and six. And then the Packers at six and seven. Behind those teams, you got the Rams, Seahawks, Falcons, Saints. All six and seven. Yep. So it's close there, right? Let, let's head to the AFC. 
You got the Ravens. They have the best record in the AFC, 10 and 3. Dolphins are 9 and 3. The Chiefs and Jaguars, each 8 and 5. All those teams lead their division. Now, the wild card the Browns are 8 and 5. Joe Flacco is leading the way for the yeah. Browns. But they have. He just a- signed a one year deal. Yeah. <laughs> apparently. Apparently, he gets $4 million for each and every win he gets as the Browns starter as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. The Browns, they have that first wild card spot right now as things stand. The Steelers are just behind, and the Colts are just behind at 7-6. and six. So, I mean, the Browns, Steelers, and Colts, they have the wild card spots right now. Behind them, Texans, Broncos, Bengals, Bills, all 7-6. and six. This is crunch time, Brevin. I love it. Every game has importance at this point. Not to say all the ones earlier in the season didn't, but now it means even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, through 14 weeks, just two teams have been eliminated from postseason contention. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's awesome to see. Uh-huh. Kind of going on that same track. My next team I'm going to go with my three up. Give me Tommy DeVito and the New York Giants. Tommy DeVito named uh, NFC player of the week. That's this awesome. was, a, this was a Giants team three weeks ago. That was two and eight. They've won three in a row. They're five and eight and now just one game back of those six teams or the, yeah, the six teams that you mentioned, uh, at six and seven for that number seven spot. Yeah. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. It, it's awesome to see Tommy DeVito leading that team the way that he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think last game, especially, we saw him with his legs. He had like mm-hmm. 70 rushing yards. We haven't seen that, but he, he no. can do it. Now we yeah. know. So I mentioned those wildcard teams, uh, Brevin, especially in the NFC. The Giants are a game back of the Packers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're on a three-game winning streak. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So anything's possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I like that pick there. I'm going to move on now to kind of the same topic here for the most part. We're going to move on to backup quarterbacks. And granted, Tommy DeVito, he's not necessarily a backup. He's a third string. He He's doing things different over there in New York right now. Um, but when you consider how great the backup quarterbacks have been in this market, we already mentioned Joe Flacco. He's one of those. He he wasn't even a backup. He was signed. He was he was signed up. I mean, just out of nowhere, and now he's leading them and on a charge. Now it's looking like backup quarterbacks have even stolen some more attention. Think about it, Brevin. Tonight we have we don't know who's going to start for the Raiders, but it could be a O'Connell, could be Brian Hoyer, could be Jimmy G. Hmm. I mean. If you're asking me, all of those guys are pretty much backups at this point, right? Because they've been starting, they've been benched, yeah, so on and so forth. Easton Stick, starting tonight for the Chargers, facing off against the Raiders. He's their backup. Okay, let's go even further here. Gardner Minshew, putting together a great year for the Colts. He's a backup, though. We already mentioned Joe Flacco. I mean, he's he's been a big part of that. Um, Zach Wilson, he stepped up last week. Good performance, 300 yards, commendable, right? Um, when you think at, about other teams as well, Josh Dobbs in the, in the Minnesota Vikings, a um, couple other guys are, are getting their opportunity there in Minnesota as well as mm-hmm. things 
are as well. So that's important to follow. Nick Mullins, Jaron Hall, potentially. And hey, Jake Browning. I, I was going to get to him. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Vikings right now, they got that third wild card spot. So, I mean, mm-hmm. guys stepping up. And that's the last guy I was going to say, Jake Browning. And I know that you, more than anyone else, Brevin, know how well Jake Browning has, has played recently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got 23 he, he, fantasy he, points last week. He, he has been a godsend for that Cincinnati team to keep them alive. Yeah. Add in Bailey Zappi, too. Yeah. Uh, in New England, filling in for Mac Jones. Yeah, did well last week. Three touchdowns. Uh-huh. I mean, the list goes on and on. And, and you hate to see injuries, but un- the unfortunate reality is, we, we of course, we can always see some more. Mm-hmm. The Chiefs' final four games will be all uh, will be all against backup QBs. Mm. So Zappy, Aiden O'Connell, if he starts um, Christmas Day, Browning, and Easton Stick. Yeah. Not what you like to hear if you're the Broncos, who are just one game behind the Chiefs in the AFC West right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. To conclude on my three up, give me the only team in the NFL that has clinched a playoff spot. And that's the San Francisco 49ers, you know, just continuing to get wins after win, and that's really all you got to do um, in the NFL. And um, being 10-3 and three right now, all those three losses coming – in a row, um, in Cleveland, in Minnesota, and at home against the Bengals. Now they've won five straight and, um, you know, getting ready for take on Arizona in the desert before a tough game next week on Christmas yeah. against Baltimore. So, um, a little two game stretch here, play a conference, play a, um, divisional opponent before taking on the best team in the AFC next week. Yeah. Absolutely. That's that's a great selection there. Niners look like the Niners should. And mm-hmm. we've, been, we've been winning on that, most definitely. I'm going to talk about a for, former Niner to wrap up my three up. That's going to be Raheem Mostert. I've been really impressed with this guy as of late. And uh, obviously, not a, a good game for the Dolphins against the Titans. Letting Will Levis lead that comeback against them on Monday Night Football last week. However, the bright spot in this game, I believe, was Raheem Mostert. A little bit more than four and a half yards of carry in this game. He ended up scoring two touchdowns late as well in that contest to keep Miami in it. And on the season, I mean, when you think about what he's done, even these past three weeks, he's got five touchdowns rushing in the past three weeks. Really impressive from a guy who's 31 years old. And granted, he had a slow start to his career. I mean, I first got a shot in 2015 didn't really see regular playing time until 2018 so a little bit of a late bloomer but at 31 years old he proves that if if you are in a good system and if you run hard you can be successful and Brevin I don't know of any other 31 year old running backs who are doing what he is doing right now in the league especially when it, it hurts if you're a Dolphins fan because you got Devon Achan who's supposed to be your starter, but he just can't stay healthy. Dealing with another toe issue right now, um, it's it's good to have that stability with Mostert and a guy that Mike McDaniel trusts. Mm-hmm. Leads all NFL running backs in with those 16 touchdowns as well. Yeah. And he's got also 
two uh, receiving touchdowns. So 18 total touchdowns this year on a Jamal Williams track from what we saw just a year ago. Not yeah. quite LaDainian Tomlinson 31, but... <laughs> so, so very good. I mean, you just got to imagine this backfield fully healthy. You, you just mm-hmm. have to imagine. I mean, they have been, but just very limited this year. Think about the game against the Broncos when they dropped 70. Granted, the Broncos were a much different team back then. But, like, man, those two guys feasted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good selection there to run up the three up. All right, three down, Kyle. Where do you want to start? Yeah, I'm going to start here with Patrick Mahomes. And I know you have Kansas City to start yours off as well, Brevin. But I'm just going to start off with Mahomes. I mean, just I, I understand his frustration. I, I love his competitiveness. I, I can't even I can't even lie to you about that. But, um, yeah, it, it's pretty interesting when uh, – when when you lose when you lose a game that way, obviously you have a great play, but but the call is correct. I mean, you you can't rush to judgment until you see the call, and maybe nope. there was inconsistency inconsistency throughout the game with Kadarius Tony lining up where he was. Sure, that could be true, but also the call wasn't necessarily wrong at the end of the game, and uh, I know that he apologized to Josh Allen for for how he acted after the game, but man, that that postseason handshake wasn't much of a handshake at all um it it was more so just Mahomes complaining about the call and what happened he did so during his post-game press conference as well that's not the problem I think the biggest problem is is you know what happened with Josh Allen I mean shake hands say good game we'll we'll see you in the playoffs like you just you you can leave it at that and I know Josh Allen you know he handled it correctly and Mahomes apologized but man I just feel like you you expect more out of a guy who's won MVP multiple yeah. times to kind of handle that a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a Chiefs team. They've lost three of four and four of six. Mm-hmm. Now they talked about they're taking on the Patriots this weekend in Foxborough. Then they take on the Raiders Christmas Day, followed by the Bengals, and uh, finish off the year in L.A. against the Chargers. So... Two divisional opponents over the next four games. It's uh, it's still going to be a challenge because because of the rivalry within the both of those games. And you think about the Bengals who are in playoff contention. You know it's going to be a tough finish um, to the finish line, especially when you don't have that cushion yeah. in the stadiums like you've had in the division in years past. Because Denver's just, just one game back. Right. Absolutely. Huge. Huge factor there. Hmm. All right. I'm going to continue here with my three down and we're going to move on now to Damian Pierce. And this is not necessarily his fault. I can't blame him for, you know, a lack of production, but it's gone down. It, unfortunately at the, at the end of the day, uh, Damian Pierce to start the year, he was getting 15 to 20 plus carries game, got injured a little bit, uh, a little bit halfway into the season entering November and things just haven't really been the same since because of uh, Devin Singletary Brevin really stepped it up himself, took advantage of Pierce's absence. And, um, you know, it's been a little bit more tough to see Pierce out there. Granted last week, he had 15 carries against the Broncos this past game, just five total touches against the Jets, and it seems like, once again, he is pretty much 
giving his running back one duties to uh, Devin Singletary. Maybe not necessarily giving them, but he just doesn't look the same runner that he did last season when he was a rookie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just been tough to see the way Damian Pierce, especially where he was last year, having that full lead back role. And then now you see it where it's, um, you know, split the way it has been. All right, for me, this team, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to the Pittsburgh Steelers here. Um, you know, when you lose to two teams that, um, are, have been eliminated or close to being eliminated, when you're in playoff contention, you're in that playoff picture, it's, right. you know, things aren't going the way you want. This team has lost three of four, lost at the Cardinals and the Patriots over the last two games, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, they just haven't been able to really get get it done more offensively than on the defensive end. And part of that is primarily the quarterback play. Uh, you know, whether it's Kenny Pickett, Mitch Trubisky, you know, they just haven't been able to get it done. I mean, the, the running backs have done their job for the most part, you know, with Warren and Harris. But I think it's the quarterbacks primarily in leading that offense in Pittsburgh. Yeah, once again, that's a backup quarterback I missed earlier. I mean, Mitch Trubisky filling in these past couple of weeks like he's had to do. Um, it's it. Unfortunately, I mean, we haven't seen the best out of Kenny Pickett, in my opinion. But, man, I think he gives you a better chance to win than Trubisky at this point. We saw it last week. So I think that's a great selection there, 100%. Mm-hmm. It comes down to the quarterback. All right, and I'm going to end here with my last uh, three-down point, bringing up the Seattle Seahawks. Brevin, I I know you have the same here as well, but I'll start. We're going to bring up the Seahawks and what they have uh, not been able to do in these past three weeks. We mentioned the 49ers. uh, They ultimately suffered a loss to San Francisco last week. The Seahawks did 28-16. to The week before that, a little bit of a shootout against – the Dallas Cowboys, 41 to 35, that's four. But um, when you lose four games in a row, Brevin, and three out of those four are against divisional opponents, man, that that's tough, especially when you're now halfway through December and you pretty much need a win this week to continue your, your uh, trek to making a wild card spot. Because Brevin, before this, this losing streak, they were in a great spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't help when you've gotten swept by the Rams, but that includes week one when the oh, when the Seahawks lost at home. Oh. And now they've lost four in a row. That's the second uh worst losing streak right now. Same four game losing streak also as the Commanders, and only the Panthers have a longer <laughs> losing streak. Ha-ha. <laughs> So yeah, things just have not have been clicking with Seattle. Obviously, <laughs> they had that close one against um, the Cowboys. They just played the, you know. And then you talked about losing to the Niners t- twice in three weeks span, and then the Rams that one pointer. You know, this is a team that's lost five of six. You know, also losing to the Ravens, and it's. Part of this, whether it's the scheduling, because then they got the Eagles this week on top of it. You know, it just hasn't been, uh, it's been a difficult time right now for the Seahawks. You know, when things were, when the Seahawks are playing, you know, easier opponents, they're winning the games that they have to, but then 
they're losing the, the games that they also kind of have to win as well, like against some of those divisional opponents, or at least splitting against a team like the 49ers. Revan, when we keep talking about these teams, I keep remembering more backup quarterbacks. And Drew Locke is another one of those backup quarterbacks who has appeared as of late. And mm-hmm. he the Seahawks last week against the Niners. Not a bad game by any means. 22 of 31, 269 yards. He had two touchdowns. But those two interceptions he threw were just killer. And mm-hmm. especially when you, when you turn the ball over the Niners, you're done for. And... um yeah, I mean, I mean, just besides the mistakes, he played a you know halfway decent game, but it does seem like Geno Smith is their guy right now, and they need him out there. He's he's kept them competitive all season, despite the losing streak that you know he was involved in those first three games of it. Um, but I mean, this is still a team with great opportunity, great talent. Yeah, and I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they turn things around, but they gotta do they gotta do so this weekend. They absolutely have to. Mm-hmm. Now is the time, but it just comes at the worst time, Brevin, because it's against yeah. the Eagles on Monday Night Football. Mm-hmm. So, luckily, the luckily the remaining three games for Seattle is easier than Cowboys, Niners, Eagles. Oh yeah, they've got at Tennessee, home against Steelers, and end the year in Arizona. I think if you're Seattle, if you finish three and one, you're in the playoffs. Considering yeah. The- Right now. Mm-hmm. Nine and eight. Well, it depends how the Rams do because the Rams have that tiebreaker yeah. over Seattle. Good point. Mm-hmm. It'll be on rare. top of the other tiebreaking scenarios with teams like Green Bay ahead of them. Just goes back to the competitiveness of yeah. the league right now, man. I mean, it's 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 great. I know guys like Tom Brady have come out and said, you know, the the level of talent isn't the same. The competitiveness is not the same as when I played, but Right now, in regards to, you know, playoff spots, yeah, that part is competitive. Yeah, it's competitive in a way, but not to the level that Tom Brady's talking about. Yeah, not not to what he expects. Yeah, it's all like we're seeing like Ray Lewis, uh, you know, those type of defenders. We're seeing yeah. similar, but not to that point. Because I think it's more, I think defense has been dominated more by the popularity of the edge rushers. Oh, You yeah. know, in today's game, you know. Miles Garrett, Max Crosby, you know, Chase Young even as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Those guys for sure. Absolutely. All right, let's get into our uh, Week 15 games as we move on now. And we kind of talked about a couple of these teams earlier. Uh, but let's get into it. Let's start here with our first matchup. Saturday night. We got three games on Saturday but I couldn't be more happy. This is the primetime game. Denver Broncos on the road against the Detroit Lions. This game at 5.15 p.m. Pacific. The Broncos 7-6. and six, The Lions 9-4. Both teams need a win. Let's face it. Both teams need a win. The, uh, the Lions are in a great spot here to really open up their division in the NFC North. When you think about where they are right now, two-game advantage over the Minnesota Vikings, three-game advantage over the Packers, four-game advantage over the Bears, they're in the driver's seat despite their recent misfortune. But being at home, this is a game they need to win because when you think about the rest of their schedule, they play the Vikings twice and the Cowboys 
However, this Broncos team is no slouch, as we've seen uh, recently. Uh, they have had the ultimate season turnaround, Brevin. And even I'm shocked by saying that. One game behind the Chiefs to this point. Seven and six overall record. And uh, their their defense, more importantly, has figured it out. Mm-hmm. I'll start here with my pick. This is tough, man, because if you're Denver, you have to win three out of the last four at least. You just absolutely have to. I think they're in the position to do that. Mm. I think the Lions win at home in this game. I think the the Lions win on a late fourth quarter field goal. They end up winning this game by two or three. I think it'll be competitive throughout, but let's be honest. Jared Goff has not looked good lately. I think he rebounds in this game. I think he rebounds in this game. Mm -hmm. You're going to have Pat Sertan guarding Amon Ross St. Brown all game long, but let's think about their other weapons as well. Josh Reynolds, if they get him involved, he could be huge. Sam Laporta, that's been a huge problem for the Broncos for years now, guarding tight ends. He has the opportunity to feast in this game. Sam Laporta does. Um, even getting the ball to Jamison Williams here yep. and there could be huge. Mm-hmm. Want some sweeps, some end rounds. Be creative. I think you can expose the Broncos here because now in recent weeks the Broncos have shown they're more committed to the blitz than anything. So if you get your your skill guys creative ways to have the football, that's important. I'll take the Lions. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take the Lions here, and for two other players that you didn't mention on that Lions, give me the running backs here. Yeah. Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery facing off one against, technically in football, one of the worst rushing defenses <laughs> um, in the NFL. So I'm going to take the Lions here, not just because they got Jameer Gibbs on the fantasy roster, but you know with the way that those two have been running this year, you know not not only are they both both Montgomery and Gibbs top ten running backs, but both are still both finding ways to have high production and high volume. So I'm going to take the Lions. I think Gibbs is one of those guys you got to get him the ball in different ways as well. Montgomery has kind of served the Jamal Williams role, so to speak, in this offense, and uh, I think you're right. But for Denver, like I said, you got to win three out of four. I think this is their loss. I think ultimately Denver takes games against um, the Chargers, the Patriots, Raiders. and and the Raiders mm-hmm. at the end of the season. That that first matchup actually coming against the Patriots on Christmas Eve, but um, I think this is the the three or four they lose. Brevin, it's no guarantee if you win three or four, you're in the postseason. But mm-hmm. this Lions team is built different, and I think they're they're looking for a rebound. So. Yeah, me, me and Brevin both agreeing on the Lions for that first game here in our Week 15 slate. That game, once again, Saturday at 5.15 p.m. Pacific. Let's move on now to Cowboys taking on the Bills. And this is a game that I know that we're both looking forward to here, Brevin. Uh, the Cowboys right now, best record in the league, tied with a couple other teams, 10-3 and three overall. They're visiting Orchard Park. Never easy to do that. Weather could be a factor in this game. And uh, this is going to be the game of the week here on Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. This is a Cowboys team, one of the hottest teams right now in the NFL. 
have won five in a row, just like the San Francisco 49ers, and just got a big win over Philly. Yeah. Um, to take that, take that, uh, division lead on, um, the tiebreaker. The Phillies lost two in a row. Right. Um, this is a Dallas team, though. Despite being seven zero at home, they're three and three on the road. And when you look at the Bills, they're five and two at home. I think I lean the Bills to get off a win. They've been playing good football as of late. You see Josh Allen um, play. You know, beat a tough Jets team. Um, beat the Chiefs last week, coming off a overtime loss on the road in Philly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll take the Bills to win this game, keep going, um, pull off an upset. But I think the key though is going to be in try and get Stephon Diggs the football um, in order to pull out a win. Absolutely. This is going to be tough, Brevin, man. I mean, playoff football is all it comes down to. And I, I really don't think the Bills are as bad of a team as people make them out to be. You know, their record, I think, doesn't speak to their talent. I really don't. I mean, they've been through some injuries, some close games. They just can't pull out. I think the Bills take this game at home, man. I just I just think they're one of those teams that has to fight for a playoff spot, and they will be a team to do that, especially given their quarterback. He turns the ball over a lot. Of course, Josh Allen does. We know that. But he's also a great leader of men, and – when he uses his legs, not only that, but when he's able to throw down the field, that's when you have success. The Bills haven't thrown down the field that much this year. You got to take shots at Dayron Bland this, this game. You just have to. You got to test him. Let's see if he. Let's see if he is the player that he's apparently made out to be this week. Mm-hmm. You think Trayvon's going to give Deron Bland any uh, any advice covering uh, his brother Stefan? Yeah, I, th- I think he has to, man. I think he has to. It, it, just, it just kind of sucks, you know, because this was the week we were supposed to see Trayvon. Yeah. It just, so it just sucks. But yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still going to be a great game. I got the Bills in this one as much as I necessarily don't want them to win as a Broncos fan. <laughs> hey, I, I think the Bills are a great football team still. Here's a note. All six of the Bills' losses, Kyle, have come in one possession fashion. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. Like like I said, it's it's all been like close games this year or just misfortune of some sort, you know. Mm-hmm. At least the Broncos they've got the uh, tiebreaker over the Bills for head to head. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean that that's what makes these AFC games even more important mm-hmm. for the Bills. I mean, this isn't one, so hey, keep that in mind. Yeah. So not only them, but the Broncos, AFC against NFC and this weekend's uh, matchups, obviously, there respectively. But a big one here on Sunday Night Football. And this is a game I'm really looking forward to, Revan. I mean, this is – when's the last time we saw Jacksonville on Sunday Night Football? Like, let's be honest. Well, last week or when the Jags and Bengals played, it was the first time in 11 years the Jags hosted a Monday night game, and that was against the San Diego Chargers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, th- Sunday night, I feel like you got to go back even further, right? 
I can try and Google that. But yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll break it all down for you. Um, but Jacksonville, once again, taking on the Ravens, not only that hosting them at home in Duval County, the Ravens, like I said, tied for the best record in the league, 10 and three, the Jags are eight and five. It's going to be a great football game. Here this we go. Game. Last time the Jaguars appeared in a Sunday night game, October 5th, 2008. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but I was going to say, was it the 90s? <laughs> I don't know. I know, right? 2008. Um, wow. Um, out of curiosity, I'm going to look this up, Revan. 2008, they finished 5-11. and 11. Jack Del Rio was the, head co- was the head coach of this team. David Garrard was the starting quarterback. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the, the starting wide receiver... Wide receivers, I should say, Matt Jones and Reggie Williams. Who? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will. I will give you one name that's on here though. Mercedes Lewis was starting. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that that puts all of this into perspective here. How long it's been since we've seen the Jaguars on Sunday Night Football? It's a big yeah. deal. Certainly, mm-hmm. a big deal, especially with them being at home. Yeah, fifteen and, years. Yeah, it's huge. Without a Sunday night football game. That's ridiculous. That's crazy to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, Trevor Lawrence out there, you hope, and, and, and all those guys appear to be healthy right now for the most part. But it's this Ravens team, Revan, that's so consistent, and they just find a way to win. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in this game, I don't know if it's necessarily an upset. I don't know what the line is, but I'm going to go with Jacksonville at home. I think this team is due for a rebound, and this is absolutely the squad to do it against. The Ravens, uh, looking at FanDuel and the odds, Ravens are three-and-a-half-point favorites. So with that home field, take that away. It's six-and-a-half-point six favorite. Yeah. Okay. I think here... I know the running game hasn't been the way it is in Baltimore. I think I'd still lean the Ravens. Yeah. I mean, with the way the defensive has played. So good. Lamar, the way Lamar Jackson has played, I think I'd lean the Ravens here um, by a couple of hairs. Yeah, we were talking about this earlier, Brevin, regarding the Ravens. I feel like especially in, in recent weeks, Lamar Jackson has been so much of a better distributor, whether <laughs> that's checking it down to Keaton Mitchell or Gus Edwards. We got Isaiah Likely in there now doing doing work. I mean, Odell Beckham, his, his volume has increased along with Zay Flowers. You got Rashad Bateman. He, he's still a part of that mix. I mean, this is still a team with so much talent. As long as you got Lamar leading the way, you're good. Mm-hmm. But they are so well coached and disciplined i think and i think that should give them the upper hand i just want some chaos so that's why i take jacksonville but yeah i mean the ravens are a such a good football team Mm -hmm. lamar jackson uh well this is a uh ravens team that has won seven of eight as well coming into tonight yeah and lamar jackson even on the ground even though you, you see his completion percentage not as great, he makes up for it with his rushing ability. Um, 
if it's each of his last five games has at least 41 yards on the ground. Yeah, that's huge. That's all you need. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a great game. I'm so happy that's on Sunday night. But, yeah, yeah, those are our featured matchups of the week. Broncos at Lions, Cowboys at Bills, and Ravens at Jaguars. All fantastic games featuring teams with winning records to this point. And like I said, it's crunch time in the NFL right now, and games mean more than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some fantasy football. A lot to recap here in week 14. We will talk Brevin and see how he did in his win and end situation, taking on Amber Salas here in our fantasy league. We'll also update you on who else made it into our playoffs here for our uh, fantasy league here. We've been following all season long. We're also going to break down uh, Major League Baseball. We have the All-MLB team. Uh, that is going to be announced this upcoming weekend. We're going to preview that. Also, the latest in free agency with all the latest trades and transactions throughout the league. We're also going to give you an update on Shohei Otani, currently giving his press conference for the first time as a member of the LA Dodgers. So don't go anywhere. We will be back in just a few minutes. everyone and welcome back to Down the Line. I'm Brevin Hunda, joined alongside my by my co-host Kyle Betts. It is December 14, 2023. We're continuing our podcast here at 3.30 in the afternoon. The Shohei Otani podcast just got, or the Shohei Otani press conference just concluded. So we'll dive maybe into a little bit about that. Um... We talked a lot of football here in our first half. We did talk about the Shohei Otani contract as well as the news in the NBA with the conclusion of the in-season tournament as well as Draymond Green and his suspension in the NBA. Now we're going to get into, we talked about football, we're going to get into some fantasy football to kick off our second half and it was the final week of the regular season here in our week 14 and Kyle already had a lock on a first-round bye, trying to get the number one seed. Ultimately did not, but did defeat Jack Momed 134-118 um, to secure that uh, first-round bye. Yeah, absolutely, Brevin. It came down to, you know, just what I could control, and that was just trying to win. And my lineup came through. Ezekiel Elliott had the top performance of the week, 27 fantasy points from his end. 68 rushing yards, a receiving touchdown, plenty of receptions and yards to go along with that as well. Um, Zay Flowers, a great performance. Six, six catches, 60 yards, and a touchdown. He had 20 fantasy points in that game, in that matchup, I should say. And, yeah, taking down Jack Wilmud, uh, a big deal, of course, certainly. But also, when you have Daniel Guerrero with the points advantage above you, he ends up with the same record. Um, he's got a fantastic team. And... Uh, Daniel ended up beating uh, the worst team in the league on the last 
uh, day of the season, which is the last thing I needed. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Both the weeks and Jack did not check their lineups, so that was part of it for both uh, teams uh, in both of those matchups. Um, I'm not going to mention any of who they started, but so Kyle gets the two C, Gigi's the one. On my end, I was taking on Amber Salas. If I'm win, I'm in. If I'm lose, there's a good chance that I'm still in. Um, as of Sunday. Did pull out the win, 120 to 109. A big part of that was the injury, um, injury to Justin Herbert early on in that game. Uh, player that Amber had on her roster and it helped that Christian McCaffrey did not score a touchdown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Uh huh. But yeah, 23 points from Jake Browning, 25 from James Cook and RB3. Three performance, I think it was this week. And then Jamar Gibbs, Tony Pollard, consistent production, 16 and 70 points, respectively. Uh, Chris Olave got in the end zone for a solid day to round out a small, smaller production day, 12.8. At the tight end position, starting Brevin Jordan from the Houston Texans, caught all three of his targets for 35 yards, I think it was. Um, let me see what he did. With no Taysom Hill. Yeah, three for 35. Caught all three targets. Brevin putting his trust in Brevin. Gotta love it. Mm-hmm. Different spelling, I-N versus E-N, but, <laughs> um, yeah, he was not the reason the Texans lost in terms of in the passing game. Yeah, certainly not. And, uh, Great to see just us end up in the playoffs, Revan, because ultimately at the end of the season, six out of the ten teams get a spot. And Brevin, you, you just narrowly sneaking in at that sixth seed, but I can't even ne- necessarily say narrowly because you had a two game advantage over anyone else who was eliminated from the postseason. So I, I, I would like to feel that, you know, our top six this season was pretty much solidified for the most part. Yeah, uh-huh. And this comes after drafting in the 10th spot, finishing 6th. So, if you go into that um, connection, kind yeah. of, sort of. That's never easy being in that spot, especially when you're able to just make it in because at the end of the day, just making it is yep. all. And, and as long as you have a chance, that's a good thing. And so, yep. it, it's fantastic. You got a tough matchup. You are the six seed once again, taking on the three seed. Our town hoedown. That team is managed by Andrew Finley, our good friend of the show. And uh, it should be competitive because the ultimate winner of your matchup this week, Brevin, plays yep. me. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's what we got. Who winner takes on Kyle? Remember, this is a matchup where Finley and I uh, made a trade earlier in the year, um, trading Tony Pollard and Chris Olave for Saquon Barkley and Tyler Lockett. Um, so that's a key thing to watch, uh, this week. I think Finley has, um, Matthew Stafford as a starting quarterback. Um, this week, yeah, Matthew Stafford is starting against Washington. He's got Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, top two running backs there. 
Uh, Puka Nakua and Odo Beckham Jr. as his two wide receivers right now with Keenan Allen out. Uh, George Kittle at tight end. Niners defense, Brandon Aubrey um, as well in that matchup. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it should be an exciting fantasy playoffs. Who can be 3-0 and in the next three weeks to host that fantasy trophy? Yeah, man. I mean... Or for Kyle and Daniel, 2-0. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, coming off this, this bye week, like for me, obviously, it is nice. But I know that next week you can never predict anything in fantasy. And so... Whether it is it, whether it is you or whether it is Finley, Brevin here moving forward in, in this in the um, the semifinal, like it, it's not going to make it any much easier for whoever ends up in that position. Nope. Of course, we're hoping it's both of us so we can talk about it here on. Uh huh. Yes, and, that uh, would be. And from a competitive aspect, of course, we want it. <laughs> yes. Uh huh. Yeah, I got to figure out who I'm starting at quarterback. Because Trevor Lawrence takes on the Ravens, who we talked about in uh, the first half of our show. I've got Kyler Murray taking on the Niners. And I've got Jake Browning taking on Minnesota, who we talked about during our three up, three down. When Kyle was talking about those backup quarterbacks. So i got to debate which quarterback I'm going to start. Who's going to be the odd man out between my two running backs, my two receivers, and my flex spot? Right. Um, between Jameer Gibbs, Tony Pollard, Fawn Diggs, Rasheed Rice, Chris Olave, and James Cook. Mm. That's the question. Who, yeah. just, who are you going to start, man? Mm-hmm. It could come down to a, a coin flip, a dice roll. Like, yeah. Man, you have plenty of talent on your team. It's just at that point when you need to flex, it's like a guessing game. Yeah. And then it's who am I starting a tight end between? If Taysom Hill is healthy, who do I start a tight end between him and Pat Fryermuth? Yeah. So those are just some of the questions that I've got in play before this matchup against Andrew Finley. Uh, some of the games you take on on Saturday, so we got to make the decision a little earlier. Uh, first player i got to worry about is uh, Pat Fryermuth. Takes on that Saturday one thirty game, mm-hmm. um, at that tight end position. Yeah, I mean this is this is a huge matchup here entering this weekend, not only for our league but so many other leagues who are following the same format. I mean, I'm just lucky where I'm in a position where I where I have a bye week, but anything can happen any given week. It, it's just. It really is just random at times, you know, when it comes to mm-hmm. Tennessee. And I, I was telling you this earlier, Revan, but ultimately, like, just making it to the playoffs, all of that matters. Just making it, giving yep. yourself a chance. And mm-hmm. here's both of our chances. Maybe not necessarily for me this week, but this is it for both of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kyle will take on the winner of uh, Finley and I um, next week in week 16. All right. Uh, so with that, we're going to move on now to Major League Baseball. The all MLB teams will be announced on Saturday. So when a couple teams in a couple days in Las Vegas, plenty of hardware to be given out to those players. Also, the 
Winners will be announced on MLB Network as well. So the top um, players um, in the game to all come together in Vegas for that, uh, for this award um, this weekend. 57, I think there were, how many catchers? 72 position players, 9 catchers, 7 first basemen, 8 second basemen, 9 short stops, 10 third basemen, 8 designated hitters, and 50 pitchers. And you got to, for the most part, pick your top two that you want at each position. Yeah. Man, this is uh, an exciting time here when you think about it. I mean, all MLB, I mean, this is what it comes down to here. Mm-hmm. They were of the nominees. It includes 57. <laughs> it includes 57 players who were all-stars this year mm-hmm. and 44 players who have earned all MLB honors in the past. Yeah, I, I really feel like we're going to see some new names on here this time around because of all the young talent that we are now seeing in the league. I mean, just making such a huge difference when when you think about these lineups who produce guys who help their rosters make a push to the playoffs. I mean, you even think about guys on the Reds who really made a huge difference for that team this year, trying to compete for the postseason. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw guys from the Reds on here, guys from some lower market teams that usually mm-hmm. guys wouldn't expect. Yeah. I mean, just so many top performers coming from, so to speak, quote unquote, unconventional teams. Mm-hmm. That that's what really caused some parity in in the MLB this past season, uh, especially near near the latter part of the end. Mm-hmm. Even for some of those players, not among they're not the superstars of their team. Maybe like a Jonah Heim behind the plate in Texas, for example. Um, you know, at first base, it could be well. I feel like first base could be locked up between Freeman and Olsen for those two. Christian Walker could make a case. Um. Second base, I think it's going to be Luisa Rise and somebody else. I would assume so, being the batting champ. Um, third base is always a tough one because you got like seven players vying for two spots. Arenado Bregman, Matt Chapman reviving his career in Toronto, Devers, Manny Machado, Jose Ramirez, Austin Riley. You think about Josh Young in the year that he had. Isaac Paredes, Jake Berger of uh, 25 plus homers being a trade deadline acquisition mm-hmm. going to Miami. Um, shortstop as well. Um, Trey Turner, James B. Swanson, Lindor, some of the new blood in Major League Baseball with Gunnar Henderson, who was the AL Rookie of the Year, Bo Bichette as well, and Bobby Witt Jr. Uh yeah, so there's plenty of uh options. Even in in the outfield, do you think Acuna's got one of those six spots? Really three yeah. for first team, three for second team. Um Carmen Carroll's probably gonna take up one of those spots as well. Um and then it just filters down from there, you know, Soto, Tatish, Schwarber, J Rod, Luis Robert, Stephen Kwan, a gold glover. Aaron Judge, even think about some of these uh, players that had great seasons. You know, you mentioned the Reds, T.J. Friedel, um, 
Chaz McCormick at Houston, Anthony Santander in Baltimore. Yeah. Lane Thomas in Washington. Um, yeah, a lot of names here um, that are up for all the MLB. Yeah, I think, Brevin, it's, it's pretty interesting, you know, how all MLB comes out, you know, this late every year. You know, I, I feel like our postseason, our postseason awards that we've been discussing here on down the line have really been a topic, especially last month. But ever since then, not really much going down in regards to the Major League Baseball postseason, postseason awards for 2023. Now we have this sort of last hurrah that mm-hmm. has come out and uh, just another opportunity for guys to have those accolades added on to yeah. their program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So that's going to come out on Saturday. We'll talk about, we'll recap the, the results next week on down the line. Um, but there's a couple of trades and transactions that we got to get to. Um, that has happened in the last week, some big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, on Friday, St. Louis traded Tyler O'Neill to Boston for relief pitcher Nick Robertson and minor league pitcher Victor Santos. And then the Angels traded David Fletcher and Max Stassi to Atlanta for Evan White and left-handed pitcher Tyler Thomas. Yeah, I mean, truthfully here, Brevin, I'm not sure regarding, you know, these Braves players that are coming into Anaheim, Evan White and Tyler Thomas, like you mentioned, not too familiar with their game and what they've accomplished in their careers, but I can speak to David Fletcher and Max Stassi. And I do know that the Braves are getting a fantastic utility guy and David Fletcher. And when you think about it, a big part of this Braves roster for the most part was Nicky Lopez, I believe. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he's been such a big part of, you know, just being he was he was with the Royals, what he was able to do with them, and now what what he what where he is 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 in Chicago. He's now on the White Sox. I think mm-hmm. Fletcher provides for the Braves is sort of that Nicky Lopez role where he can be a that utility guy, a fantastic defensive middle infielder. No matter where you put him, he's gonna make that play. And at the plate, he's a contact guy. He's not gonna home runs for you, he, he'll be your contact guy whenever you need it. And I think that's massive for a team like the Braves who want to make a postseason put a uh, postseason uh, push. Because in Anaheim, Fletcher didn't really fit in starting two years ago and never was really able to reclaim his spot in the infield due to, I think, ultimately his lack of power and his injuries as well. I think those were two big factors there. Stassi is one of those guys who's been hurt over the course of the last couple of seasons, was dealing with a personal issue last year. Good catching depth for the Braves. He really didn't have any any uh, future with the Angels, to be honest with you, especially after last season. And so, you know, the, the Angels' catching future is bright at the end of the day. Guys like Logan O'Hoppy, uh, guys like Matt Thice, who have really stepped up as of late. And it looks like the Angels are believing in their youth, but the Braves are getting a couple guys with veteran experience who are mm-hmm. just only going to add to that championship roster. Yeah, especially that catching depth behind Sean Murphy, or yeah, behind Sean Murphy um, yeah. as well. When you don't have um, 
No William Contreras did not mix. Yeah. Um, I don't think maybe Travis Darno as well, maybe, but yeah. And then let's see, a couple other moves on Tuesday. Um, talked about the Royals with Nikki Lopez. The Royals signed starting pitcher Seth Lugo to a three year deal with 45 million and upgrade after his two year 50 million, $15 million deal he signed with the Padres last winter and opted out of that deal. Yeah, I mean, once again, just a, a really interesting uh, deal here. $45 million, I mean, that's a lot of money across three years. $15 uh, annual average value. And I, I know we talked about this, Brevin, earlier this week, but that's ultimately the reason he's taking this deal with the Royals. I mean, obviously trying to make them competitive again, but a great contract for a guy like Seth Lugo, who has kind of worked his way up over the course of these past few seasons coming from the Mets over to San Diego, really establishing himself as a fantastic pitcher in the league. Good deal for the Royals as they try to sort of build the roster back up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See that? And then also uh, the Giants made a move. They got the Korean outfielder from the KBO. <laughs> they got Jung-Hoo Lee. Um Six years, $113 million with an opt-out after four years. So the Giants... Getting a uh, a big outfielder after they were in the mix to get Aaron Judge last year, Carlos Correa as well, and now they're able to get Jung Lee to bolster that lineup. Yeah, I mean, a huge contract for the Giants, all things considered. Missing out on Shohei Otani and not being, you know, the the ultimate suitors for him, even though they were in the sweepstakes all along. I think this is as good of a consolation to Otani as you can get, adding some stability to that lineup and a guy who has really proved himself overseas. Man, this is an exciting deal. Really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now we're at that point now to this point, not many, some smaller trades and transactions that have happened, but big news, obviously, that Otani uh, press conference today. Kyle, what were some of those big takeaways from uh, the presser? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a fairly long presser for the most part. I mean, about 45 minutes long or so, and um, so so much conversation that, that went on during this presser. Um, one thing I do know is that Shohei Otani was talking about the Angels throughout that presser. He said, uh, quote, I want to thank the Los Angeles Angels. It was a fun ride, a great ride. I'll never forget all the memories I had. He went on to say that I do prioritize winning and that is at the top of my list. He went on to say that when I was with the Angels and when the Dodgers came to town, half the stadium was blue. I mean, that is true. Of course, we always know that the, the Dodgers fans travel well during the freeway series. But I think one of the most uh, notable quotes that we had from this uh, press conference has been Nez Balelo, and he is the agent of Shohei Otani. One of the more uh, notable quotes that we got from this was near the end of his pressure. Um, this is a tweet from uh, Sam Bloom. He's a writer from The Athletic. He said, Nez Balelo said that uh, they, as an Otani in his camp, went back to the Angels at the end of the process. I'm assuming that means negotiation process. And wanted to give them an opportunity at the end. 
Bolelo declined to say if money was the difference. I feel like money was the difference there, Brevin. Yeah. He's declining that because think about it. You know, reports came out suggesting that Otani wanted autonomy within an organization. He could he could essentially do things as he pleased. The Angels provided that. Sure, that, that had to do with something. But given the amount that Otani got in L.A. with the Dodgers, I feel like the Angels were probably hesitant to taking a contract of that sort just because of everything the Angels have gone through in the past decade plus with big contracts. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's the case, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Shohei Otani also revealed the name of his dog that was possibly rumored to be in relation to the team that he was going to sign with. Mm-hmm. Um, turned out his name is, uh, when it's translated English, his name is Decoy. I like that. Um, so I wonder if he's going to, if Dave Roberts is going to insert any plays called a decoy, um, whether it's bunts, first and thirds, <laughs> and run. Yeah. Or or he used the Angels as a decoy to fool everyone because he knew he was going to sign with the Dodgers all along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think we could see decoy as some sort of uh uh, third base coach sign in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um. Yeah. So we'll probably hear more Otani this weekend for all MLB. Um. Right now we're gonna get into trivia. Kyle's on the block, and we're gonna bring back the immaculate grid. Let's see how well Kyle does today. Immaculate grid today. Um. You get it. Angels in the mix, the Tigers, as well as the Cubs and the Royals. And an interesting twist here, we get shortstop and catcher in oh. one game. Okay. So that bottom box on the right is going to be the challenge when finding a catcher who's also played shortstop. Man, this is going to be tough. A brand new feature here on the Immaculate Grid. Yeah. Oh, rough. Okay. Um, I'm going to start here with uh, the Tigers and the Cubs. Um, that That's on the grid. Yeah. I believe this, this guy has played for both teams. He, he's a current player. I'm going to go with Zach McKinstry. Zach McKinstry. The one for the rarity. Zach McKinstry. Final chance, Kyle. You want to stick with that? Yeah, let's just go for it. Let's go. Zach McKinstry. Yes, he has. There you go. One percent. One percent. Let's go. Yes. (laughs) Top answer is Javi Baez. Ah, that that's a much better one. But I was like, I don't know why Zach McKinstry came to mind, but I know he's a current player who (laughs) definitely played for both. I don't know why, but I that just. So, hey, I'll take it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Angels and Cubs could be a tough one that I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think a little bit more about as we go on. But I'm going to go with Angels and Royals here. I'm going to go with another Zach. That's going to be Granky. Um, there you go. 24%. 
Okay. Um, an Angels player who has played catcher minimum of one game. You know what? We're going to be interesting here. We're going to go with Max Stassi because we just talked about him. Yep. <laughs> 14%. 14%. All right, there we go. And that's tied with the most popular answer with Benji Molina. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, Kansas City and Detroit. This is where things get complicated. <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, a lot of this is. But um, going back to our previous conversation here in this episode, Brevin, mm-hmm. Kansas City Royal, who has played shortstop, I'm going to go with Nikki Lopez here. Yep, there you go, 4%. Hey. <laughs> I like these uh, low percentages that I'm getting. Uh-huh. Lowers that rarity. 100%. All right. Um, okay. Um, trying to think of what I can do next year. Kyle is 4 for 4 right now, as Kyle thinks. Four. Still needs an... <laughs> Still needs an angel and a cub. Mm-hmm. A cub that has played shortstop minimum one game. Needs a, a tiger and a royal. Also needs a tiger who's played catcher at least one game. Mm. Also needs a player who's played both shortstop for one game and catcher for one game. Dude, this is tough, man. Especially, <laughs> this is really tough here. Detroit players who have also played in Kansas City. Man. I feel like those are just two of the most obscure teams in the league. Um, The least amount of answers, Kyle. The Tiger and Royals. There's just 89 players who have played in both Detroit and Kansas City. To be honest with you, Brevin, like, I, I don't know anything about, like, Tigers catchers for the most part, but yeah. what I do know is one of the most recent guys, I don't know if he's still there, but recently I, I know he was. We're going to go with Eric Haas. Oh, yeah, there you go. There you go, 5%. Okay. I did not think you would know Eric Haas there. That that was honestly the only name that came to mind. <laughs> only one. Angels and Cubs is definitely difficult, man. There's a few. I'm sure there's going to be a couple in there where I'm just like, no way, I should have got him. There's 127 players who play in Anaheim and Chicago for the Cubs. Wow. Let's see if Kyle can identify one of those 127. Dude, that, that's the question. I'm also trying to think of everything else here. Mm-hmm. See, see what I can get first, you know, at the end of the day. Um, we mentioned the Cubs earlier. Mm-hmm. And their shortstop. We're just going to go Baez here. Yeah. That looks like a good safe play there. Yeah, easy, easy enough, right? 
Seven percent, yeah. Simple enough. Angels and Cubs is the real question here. Hmm. I'm trying to think of guys who have kind of bounced around in their careers. Uh-huh. Like outfielders. See, I did the Immaculate Grit earlier today. How'd you do? I did nine for nine. I did have to search up a couple of things. Okay. Kyle and I do not have a same player in the same spot. Mm. Right now, the only player that Kyle and I have both used was Javier Baez. Okay. I put Baez as my tiger and cub. Angels and cubs, like... Man, I feel like there are so many names that that could come to mind, but it's I'm just blanking on everything right now. Yeah, Tigers and Royals. That is that's just a group where I'm just. I know we got the Angels on here, but man, all these other teams are just uh, <laughs> unconventional, sm- smaller market. Not uh-huh. even not even necessarily smaller market, but like just guys I don't follow. Mm-hmm. Revan, dude, I'm struggling, man. I think I might call it here. You're gonna call it? I think so. Or do you want some help? I'll get some help from you. Why not? Alright. Uh Angels and Cubs. You're gonna you're gonna say a name, I'm gonna be like, wow, I just suck at this. No, I'm gonna give you a clue. Okay. Think either think World Series champion, either with the Angels or with the Cubs. Ooh. I think that's a little tougher back in 2002 because I don't know anyone on the Cubs back then. <laughs> well, 2002 Angels. Yeah, 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 right. Uh-huh. But guys from that era who could have played on the Cubs, ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think more so from, from the most recent championship is, is something I can get. But man, I'm just blanking right now, Brevin. Okay. Um, give give me another clue. For gosh. for this one, ti- Tigers and Royals. I don't think you can give me a clue for yeah. sure. Let me see <laughs> if I can. If you can think of something that can. Yeah. Man, I I feel ashamed as an Angels fan. It's the most recent. <laughs> um. Most recent player to play for, to at least play for one of the Tigers of the Royals came 2022. Mm, let's see if I can think of any other. Yeah, it's kind of tough here with this. Yeah. I, Brett, oh. I'm it, man. Kim? Because I'm blanking on. Literally all the rest of them. Okay. So there you I go. got six out of nine. On uh-huh. Game, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But let's see the rest. All right. So we'll just give up here. We're six out of nine. Could be worse. 356. Okay. Possible answers. Most popular Cubs and Angels answer. John Lackey, he was on the Cubs. 
Johnny Damon was on the Royals. Yeah, that's the I did not get that one. <laughs> I know. These are some names here. For for shortstop and catcher, I had to look this one up because m- most of these, it's like they're primary catchers, but they play one inning at shortstop or they play one game at shortstop. Yeah, and it's or it's vice versa. That's so um, that's so difficult. So my angel and cub that I had, Kyle. Okay. Dexter Fowler. Oh, that hurts me. That's a <laughs> that's a really good one. I should. Yeah. Um, my angel and royal. Okay. Kendrys Morales. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. And then uh, my angel catcher. Okay. Logan Ohapi. Okay. I I was honestly thinking Matt <laughs> at first just to be like Matt Dice. <laughs> uh huh. But those are um, questions. Yeah. Javi Baez, Tiger Cub. I, I figured I'd just get that one out of the way. Yeah. And then because of that, I didn't have a Cub shortstop, so I was like, all right, let me think who else played shortstop. So I went with the Hall of Famer, Ernie Banks. Oh, easy solution there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a- uh, let's see. Royals shortstop, Alderberto Mondesi. Wow. Okay. Hey. Impressive. Yeah, that's a really nine percent. Wow. Um. Tigers. <laughs> Tigers. Royals. This only got four hundredths of a percent, Kyle. Wow. But the only way I know this is because he's one of the Padres reporters, Bob Scalin. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. That's that's got to be one of the more rare ones you'll ever see. Yeah. Um, Tigers catcher, Victor Martinez. Mm. That's a good one. Shortstop catcher. This is the one I had to Google search because I was just like, I can't think of one. Right. Russell Martin. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, on... The most popular, according to Immaculate Grid, was Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. I mean, that makes sense. It makes yeah. sense. But you just... I just ne- I just for- forgot that that man has ever caught anything before. Mm-hmm. Behind Let's the see. plate. Uh-huh. That was... Some uh, recent players to play both catcher and shortstop, Kyle. There's four active players who've done it. So Isaiah Connor Fluff is one. Yeah. Josh Donaldson. What? I know, right? You're thinking Wait, like he played shortstop at any point too. It was his rookie year. What? <laughs> um, Eduardo Escobar. Uh, okay. that make that honestly doesn't surprise me. Okay, uh, and the other active player is Kyle Farmer. Oh. Okay. That okay. makes he's a utility guy, yeah. Uh Andrew Romine. Oh, come on, former Angel. I should have had that. Yeah. And, and he could have I think he could have applied to Cubs and Angels too. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um another well then there's Russell Martin. Mm-hmm. Uh Brandon Inge. Brandon Inge. That's Played with the Tigers. That's a name. Oh my. And here's the other one that caught 
was looking at this. Former Angels manager Brad Osmus. <laughs> of course. Literally, <laughs> just of course. Like that. That that man would have done that too. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. That was out of all the immaculate grids we've done on on our show here, Brevin. I feel like that's got to be the most obscure, unique, whatever name you want to give it. You know. That was mm-hmm. that was very interesting. Yeah, it was. I saw that. I was like, okay, trying to figure out a catcher who's also played shortstop for at least one game. Yeah. And two, not all these catchers are. I mean, you think about like Pudge Rodriguez. You think about Johnny Bench's catchers. You don't think about those that are able to play no. utility no. and play no. elsewhere. I mean. I, I, as soon as you mentioned that, Brevin, as, as part of the requirements for this, and then I looked at the played shortstop minimum one game, played catcher minimum one game, and it said okay. new underneath. I knew I was done. I knew I was screwed. I knew yeah. I, I was done. <laughs> at first, I was like, okay, being a Padre fan, I'm thinking, okay, is Austin Nola part of this because he played second base when he was in Seattle as well? Really? Yeah, but no, he wasn't. I was like, I had no idea. He didn't wow. play shortstop. I was like, not even one game. Right. Like, part of me wanted to say Matt Theis for shortstop and catcher, but I believe Matt Theis has only played the corners as well as catcher, and then mm-hmm. yeah, I feel a little bit. Yeah. Tired. Yeah, I mean, that is uh, next level let's get your brain working activities right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so that was trivia. As Kyle goes, six for nine on today's Immaculate Grid. Could Could not think of an angel and a cub. I should have got that. There were some options there. John Lackey, Mm -hmm. um, as well as the top answer. Um, Yeah, then you had uh, Kyle did get Zach Granke, Javier Baez. Um, Zach McKinstry, Nikki Lopez, Eric Haas. I really thought you were going to mention Brad Osmus as your Tiger catcher. Yeah, I, I, I definitely should have done that. That's just a name from, you know, 2000s that I definitely should have. But honestly, mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of wiped Brad Osmus as an Angels manager out of my head because yeah. <laughs> I don't want to remember that. So that's another part of it. But yeah. I think for me, besides Eric Haas, the most notable name that I read off on there was probably or most like intriguing name, I should say, is probably McKinstry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's just one of those guys who he'll go anywhere and like he'll he'll produce for you for sure. So like yeah. one of those guys who's memorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was tough. I liked it. Mm-hmm. All right. So that is pretty much going to do it here this week on Down the Line, episode number 131 here in the books. Going over trivia, today's difficult immaculate grid for Kyle. Challenging one for sure, trying to figure out a shortstop who's played catcher or vice versa. Uh, Talking about all about the Shohei Otani news, 
with him signing his press conference earlier today. Talked uh the fantasy football. The playoffs are getting underway. Kyle is the two seed. I'm the six seed. So we'll talk more about that matchup, especially next week, who Kyle will await to see, whether it's me or Andrew Finley. Uh, we talked football. Uh, some of the big games this week, including the Bills. Um, the Bills taking on the Cowboys. And football in Brazil next year. Another Super Bowl coming to the West Coast. So, yeah, we dove all into all of that today. We thank you all for tuning into this week's episode of Down the Line for Kyle Betts. I'm Brevin Honda. We hope you listen next week to another episode of Down the Line.